Fatheads, you're tuning in to another episode of Sharing Our Pairings. This is Sharing Our Pairings, episode 117, Gurkha Heritage Maduro. I'm your host, John, the Cigar Surgeon, joined as always by my co-host, Trippy Trent. We are broadcast around the world and picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. You can tune in at CigarFederation.com, where we're homed. You can also tune in at Facebook Live. Uh, we're no longer broadcasting on YouTube Live because we've got to streamline that technology. And quite frankly, we found most people were listening on Facebook Live anyways. But the stream will be available after the show. Uh, hopefully soon after the show at YouTube. So have no fear, all YouTube listeners. And thanks, of course, to all our podcast listeners. We know you guys are out there. Guys and girls are out there in droves. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. Trippy, what's going on, brother? Sup, buddy? Uh, people may notice that I'm, I've am i got some stoic audio now. It's coming in It's coming in tight. What'd you do? I mean, that that is some crisp audio there, buddy. buddy. So I upgraded to a, uh, a fancy new mic uh, that's it's just good. off camera here. Um, and yeah, it's hopefully hopefully it continues to work through the show. I've been having some audio card issues, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Sounds so far, crisp. it's been good. It's it's tickling my ears in, in in that delicious audio way, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you do. Uh, of course, we're talking about uh, pairing tonight, which we talk about every night, every Thursday, every Wednesday. Not every Thursday. I'm stuck in cigar chat mode. Uh, we are talking about pairing cigars and pairing whiskey. And uh, it's kind of funny that we've we've had uh, Gurkha as a show sponsor for quite some time, and we haven't done a Gurkha show, like, in, I don't know, if, in fact, uh, thinking back, I don't think we've ever done a Gurkha show. I don't believe so. Um, oh. Certainly not that I've been a part of. I don't believe you ever did one before my time. I don't think so. I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, I know that uh, among aficionados, it's kind of, uh, there, there's a thing to kind of bust on Gurkha a little bit for some of the marketing. Um, but quite frankly, from a retail perspective, speaking as a retailer, we have a lot of customers that buy Gurkha. We have a lot of customers that come in and ask for Gurkha, and we have customers that come in and ask for specific Gurkhas. So, you know, there is a there is a, a very big audience of cigar smokers out there that enjoy Gurkha, and uh, I, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't you know a bunch of Gurkha. We tried we tried a bunch of Gurkhas at the um, at the IPCPR, and uh, there's some really really good cigars among them. Yeah. Uh- I think I'm going to say this the nicest way possible. I think that there's a perception of Gurkha and then there's the way they actually are. And uh, obviously a lot of the perception is not great, but I think that comes from them having uh, cigars that are all over the map. They have everything from budget cigars to cigars that most people on the planet could not afford. Including, Uh, uh, including their, their sales manager. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) And there's a, a point where in that in that uh, range where the cigars get really good. Um, and I know, I mean, people are probably shitting all over us already for even smoking Gurkhas. But the fact is that uh, they make really good cigars. They do. I mean, if, you, if all you're smoking is, um, is budget-level Gurkhas and you're complaining that they don't have, you know, that 90-plus level uh, complexity of flavor that you're anticipating... Well, there's lots of other product to choose from. I mean, like, other than, like, quite frankly, other than, um, well, I'm not going to say the name, but there's another well-known brand out there that has probably as equal many facings on the on the market as mm-hmm. as Gurkha does, um, and the same applies to them. You know, you've got a wide range of product to choose from, and like you said, there's everything from budget going all the way up to the obscenely uh, unapproachable, which I, I mean, I don't think I've seen it in the wild. And there's a there's a nice core range that has a lot of great flavors. So, um, you know, we've said on the show before, 
there's 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 almost certainly a Gurkha for you. Like if you if you know what you're looking for, trust me, they've got a cigar you will enjoy. Yeah, uh, what I what I've learned is if you've never smoked a Gurkha you liked, you haven't smoked the right one. There's absolutely one out there that you're gonna like. So moving right along to what we're smoking tonight, um, this is one that uh, I've never smoked. Have you ever smoked this before? Um, I smoked one a couple weeks ago, um, and that's what made me like, all right, we gotta try this on the show because this is a good cigar. So this is the uh, Gurkha Heritage Maduro, um, not to be confused with the original Heritage, which uh, got a pretty good rating in Cigar Aficionado, if you if you like that kind of thing. And uh, uh, this there is my go. first time smoking it, and uh, I cracked it out, and what did I say, like, two puffs in? I was like, is this a San Andreas Maduro? Because... Uh, you you actually hadn't even cut it yet. Oh, that's right. I hadn't cut it. Just the, this, the aromas off of it. Um, when you get a really good San Andreas wrapper... You know, it's got that like earthy chocolate that I just dig, and uh, this is definitely one of those cigars where the um, the wrapper is is how do I say forward? Like you're really getting that that wrapper yeah. flavor in there. Yeah, and uh, so to to get into the blend, so I'm smoking. I think the robusto. This is a 55 by five. Yeah, that's what they call um, it, the robusto. It it threw me off because it's it's got this enormous band, and then it also has cedar on the foot that I've got it's right huge here. and it makes it look like a like a four and a half maybe four inch cigar when it's actually a five inch cigar um and then talking about the blend it's as you said mexican san andreas wrapper the binder is brazilian araparaca ah. and the filler is brazilian and nicaraguan which is an interesting combination there's it not a lot of combination all nicaraguan and brazilian filler cigars out there I would say the vast majority of cigars that I've smoked, I would say almost 99% uh, either have bra- bra- some sort of Brazilian, usually Araparaca as a wrapper or as a binder. I don't think I've ever smoked anything that has Brazilian in the in the filler. Uh, the only thing I can think of is the those the CAO Amazons. Mm. They use uh, Brazilian in the filler, but th- that's the only other one that I know of that uses Brazili- Brazilian filler. And people go big, people go gangbusters over those. Yeah. So. But maybe that's um, part of the magic that's in this. I don't know. The the, the magical tobacco, um, you know, smoking the because I'm we we kind of did a pre light, um, kind of usually uh, get about twenty minutes of the cigar in just so the palate can acclimate and the flavors can kind of um, get in there. And I uh, started out with a lot of that San Andreas chocolate, a little bit of earthiness. Uh, I, I usually call it like dirty chocolate. Uh, and then right about now where I think the first third is kind of settling in, I'm getting a lot of that like toasted graham cracker and mm-hmm. I'm super digging it. Uh, and I don't know if it's, you've planted it in my mind now saying Araparaca, but I am getting a little bit of that stewed plum that I tend to associate with Araparaca. Yeah. There's definitely a little bit of like stewed fruit kind of flavor and, and a surprising amount of spice in this cigar. It's, uh, the first time I smoked it a few weeks ago, I was really surprised by how much spice there was. Um, just because I don't know, for some reason I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, I, I might be um, blowing the spice out a little bit tonight with some of the beverages that I've gone with, and I've kind of been. It's been a. I'm not gonna lie. It's been a bit of a day. It's being a bit of a week, so I might have uh, snuck a few tastes in already. And I think my first beverage uh, might be a little on the hot side and taking away a little bit of that spice. I don't know if that spice is coming through. It might come through on my second or third beverage tonight. Yeah, um, it's it's not like super intense spice. It's kind of like. A, a light red pepper kind of spice. It's a little more intense than mm. black pepper, but like a red not, pepper flake. 
yeah, not super spicy. Though. Yeah, it's. I mean, now that you say that, um, and I'm kind of focused on it, I kind of get that right in the center of my tongue, kind of like what I yeah. get with uh, with a really nice green curry. You get that right in the center of your tongue, and it mm. just kind of lingers there nicely. Um, and I'm only saying green curry because I had Thai food a few nights ago, and it was it was so good. Of course, so it good. And then I ate a red Thai chili pepper. I was like, it's so hot, it's so hot. Oh, but it was tasty. Man, when I was in Connecticut, or after you left Connecticut and I was staying with my buddy for a few days, uh, he took me to this Thai place and I had, I just ordered pad Thai cause I just love the flavors in pad Thai. I know so it's not good. super Thai. Um, and they asked how hot you want it. And I said a four, like <laughs> a four out of five. That's really kind of my wheelhouse when it comes to Thai food. Um, and this was like a seven out of five. It was so, so, so very hot. Um, but really good. I couldn't stop eating it. You know, my that face it, off. yeah, I mean, you know that I am a spice junkie. I love heat and I, I've, uh, I mean, I eat pho on a regular basis and I love it. Like, like if my eyes aren't watering and my nose isn't running mm-hmm. then I just don't feel it's a proper satay. And the same is true for, uh, for Indian food. Uh, I've been certified multiple times as having an Indian stomach and I love, oh, yeah. you know, authentic quality, uh, Indian food and, you know, they're one of the few dishes that I can eat that's like a full vegetarian dish, dish that has a lot of flavor and complexity. And that leads me into Thai food because I feel like Thai food operates on a completely different level when it comes to spice. Yeah. I mean, for me, like a seven or eight out of 10 for Indian food is like a four out of 10 or a three and a half out of 10 on the Thai scale. Yeah. the I, I don't know how they make it that hot even. Like Thai chili peppers aren't even that crazy hot. Um, they really I, aren't. I have hot sauces inside that are way hotter and that I'll just put on food, but they just like layer the heat on there. It's like fresh chilies, chili oil, chili flakes. It's just layers and layers and layers of heat. And it's so intense. And so delicious. And, it, and I mean, it just, it just comes up on you. You know, you're not expecting you have a couple of bites. You're like, Oh, this is good. This is, you know, it's got a little spice to it. And then you have two or three more spoonfuls and then you're like, Ooh, it's a little, it's a little spicy. This is, this is this. And then, you know, five or six more bites in, you're like, okay, okay, my mouth's on fire now. My mouth's on fire. I need a, I need a coffee. This is, this is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, that, that pad thai was rough, man. It's so good. Okay. So getting back to the cigar, um, really good start. The first third so far, really, really tasty. I'm kind of excited to jump in on our pairings. Before we do, do we have any um, initial comments, questions, or feedback? Uh, maybe a little ball busting from audience. A uh, l- little bit of ball busting. Nice. That I, uh, I'll say it. Uh, Jason wants to know. Jason Raybuck wants to know if we got these for ninety three percent off. I mean, these are originally a thousand dollar cigars, and we only paid six fifty, which I think was a pretty no. We these cigars were actually provided by our show sponsor. Yeah. Uh, and um, and I, I actually don't even know what the MSRP. I think the MSRP and the Heritage is actually quite affordable. I think they're like. I want to say eight or nine bucks. Yeah, I think this is about eight bucks for one of these. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed about Gurkhas is if you can't find it for 90% off, uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, so, and this is one of those that you're not going to find this one for two bucks a stick or anything like that. Uh, no, this is, this, is, this is what I would consider a regular, normal, everyday release. This is not like the, um, the catalog type cigar. This is like yeah, a regular exactly. cigar you'd find at a B&M normal price against other normal B&M type cigars. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we've also got a shout out from Joe Picatagi in New York City. He just he just wanted to say what up from New York. 
What up? We were in uh, we were in Joe's backyard just a couple weeks ago. We were in and out. You know, it was like a it was like a dirty Saturday night kind it was of like Seal v- Team Six. It was like Seal Team Six. We came in, we came out, no one knew we were there, and uh, all we left was was a disaster in our wake. But just a uh, pile of ashes. Pile of ashes and empty whiskey glasses. But uh, it was it was cool. I I definitely want to go back. But I'll hop in before our first break here because I'm uh, I'm tasting finally, and I'll tell the story after the break, but. Finally, finally got my hands on the Wiggly Bridge. Thank you very much to uh, to Barry Stein from the Cigar Authority. Uh, the man was very, very kind enough to provide us each a bottle, which was uh, very, very generous of him. Above and beyond. Above and beyond. Uh, thank you very much, Barry, for being a show sponsor and for the personal gift. We really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, I'll tell after the uh, after the break the pathway by which it took to get this bottle up to me because it was it was a bit of a it's a bit of a trek, and I'll talk a little yeah. bit about Brig- Wiggly Bridge. Uh, maybe you want to introduce your first beverage before the, the yeah, before first the break. Yeah, before the break. So I'm I'm drinking Zafra. It's a it's this is Zafra Master Reserve. It's a rum from Panama, aged 21 years in bourbon barrels. It's so good. It's very good. It doesn't have that cloyingly sweet characteristic that a lot of um some or I shouldn't say a lot. Some rums have this cloyingly sweet character. Mm-hmm. I find that Zafra is. Zephyr is a rum for people who like sipping rums, for people who can appreciate nuances in sipping rums. Yeah, I, I think so. So the way that it's been described to me is it's made as a rum to kind of market towards bourbon drinkers. Yeah. It's made for the bourbon drinkers palate. It's a little it's a little uh, it's a little more bold than what you typically get off the shelf. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna hit uh, our first show sponsor. Please stay tuned. Brought to you by Gurkha Cigars. Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Try the 93-rated Heritage featuring Rosado, Ecuadorian Habana wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican, Pennsylvanian, and Nicaraguan fillers. Blended by Gurkha's blending team at American Caribbean Cigars, it's hand-rolled Nicaragua and available in 35-count boxes. Talk to your local B&M about the Heritage today, or talk to them about other fine Gurkha cigars. Whatever your taste preferences, Gurkha has a cigar that's right for you. And we're back. Of course, uh, one of the things we failed to mention was that this Gurkha Heritage Maduro is, in fact, rolled out of Nicaragua. So I could have used my uh, fancy dancy Nicaraguan flag and gotten some shout outs. I want to remind the audience you are tuned in to Sharing Our Bearings, episode 117. Gurkha Heritage Maduro. I'm your host, John the Cigar Surgeon, joined as always by my co host, Trippy Trent. We are broadcast live around the world and picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. You can tune in at cigarfederation.com, Facebook Live, or after the show, youtube.com. Of course, we've got all our podcast listeners out there in droves. Thanks very much. Appreciate all your show comments. And feel free to drop us a comment emoji or whatever the heck on Facebook Live. Appreciate that feedback. So, getting back to our beverages. I'll hold that up again because it's it's just it's so sexy, Wiggly Bridge. So uh of course getting booze up here to Canada uh via the Underground Railway is uh, extremely difficult. Uh cigars maybe, booze not so much. Uh that is a that is a tough shipment. So we opted for safety and uh, my good friend and colleague Trip uh, was kind enough to uh bring that to me when we uh were down in New York together. And uh, I thought, no big deal. I've been all over the world. I've transported liquor in my suitcase, which is the only way to transport. Uh, I figured, no problem. Except for the fact that my luggage did not make my connection. I made my connection. My luggage did not make my connection. And then I embarked on a 48-hour, excruciatingly painful experience with Delta. Uh, I mean, it's just 
it was brutal. I drove out to the airport to get my luggage and there was no Delta staff at the airport. And I called them like four times and they kept acting like it was this baffling experience that there was no Delta staff at the airport. And eventually my baggage showed up at uh, like nine o'clock at night, uh, a day late. Uh, and I was really quite, quite honestly, I was fully prepared to open up my, my bag and expect the bottle probably to be missing. It was kind of my expectation that someone had pinched it uh, or or somebody had rummaged through the luggage and taken off my uh, bubble wrap and it was now broken. Fortunately, none of the above. It uh, arrived safe and sound. Very happy that it did. Uh, you can see that uh, it's, got, it's kind of got a, you know, it's golden, golden amberish color to it, kind of a gold color. Um, I know we've talked about Wiggly Bridge a few times when I'm talking about them in my own words because I'm very excited. Uh, they're started by father and son, David Woods and David, also known as Little David. And uh, Little David is an actual self-taught welder. I didn't even know that you could just start welding and not, you know, hurt yourself. Um, but he essentially learned how to make copper stills from watching YouTube videos. That's <laughs> that's wild and crazy. Um, so the uh, copper pot still that they use for all the dist- distillation is handmade, hand-rolled, and hand riveted. It really doesn't get any more artisanal than that. So obviously it's not a giant, giant copper still. Cause I mean, that would be painful to make by hand. Yeah. But, that uh, would not be easy. Very cool. Um, the Wiggly bridge name comes of course from the bridge that is nearby. And, uh, as the rumor goes that uh, Girl Scout troop went over it and it wiggled. And so it got the name Wiggly bridge. Uh, that bridge was built all the way back in the 1930s. And it is listed as the smallest pedestrian suspension bridge in the United States, which I thought was kind of cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm always digging, you know, I'm always digging for those little interesting factoids. Um, We've talked about this, but I'll talk about it again. Uh, It's typically aged for about 10 months in a smaller than traditional barrel. And the reason for that is that the more contact the spirit has with the wood, the faster it's going to age. It's bottled at 46 proof. So that's, uh, comes in at, uh, well, it's interesting because mine says 86 proof, but um, 43% alcohol by volume in met in, in, uh, science units, 96, 93, uh, proof in freedom proof. And they say that it's balanced and complex with notes of caramel, oak and dried fruit, cinnamon, pepper, sweet tobacco. That's going to be tough to pick up honey and grain flavor. And then the finish is dry and long with a pleasant cinnamon and clove finish. So I'm going to take some more sips because I have been sneaking and you can talk about your first beverage, the Zaya? Uh, Zafra. Zafra. Um, I, I got it confused with Zaya a couple times too. Um, so again, this is Zafra Master Reserve. It is from Panama. It's got a really like you can't really see it on camera because my light kind of blows it out. But it's got a kind of a a strange little etching kind of picture with a circle that says Rum Treasure Panama. I'm just not sure what that even means. Uh, but anyway, it's aged for 21 years exclusively in bourbon barrels, so it's not like some other rums that I've had on the show where they're aged in a certain type of barrel than another type of barrel. This is straight bourbon casks for 21 years. Uh, it's kind of similar to the color of the Wiggly Bridge. It's kind of a reddish amber. Pretty dark. Yeah, it's it's fairly dark for rum, and I mean, you can you can it really shows up in the bottle. It's oh yeah, it's very like reddish hued kind of. Amber brown. Amber, yeah, for sure. Um, and this is made from 100% molasses, uh, which is, is that industrial or is that uh, agricultural rum? That's industrial. Okay. Um, and 
And it really doesn't have like that sweetness that a lot of rums have. It's a little more woody, a little more smoky. Um, and then it's got kind of those vanilla notes that you get from a bourbon. And, uh, well, that's about it. Uh, there's not a lot of information available about the distillery. Um, and they have a website, but it's actually under construction right now. <laughs> of course it is. They're too busy making rum to worry about their technology. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so getting back to this Wiggly Bridge, first of all, let me just say uh, all the poetic waxing you guys have been doing about this, it's very approachable. Um, probably one of the most approachable bourbons that I've had. Um, from the perspective of it's it's got it's got this it's got a interesting combination of more oaky flavor than I've typically ever gotten in a bourbon, and I'm going to assume that's because of the smaller barrel aging uh, that it's imparted a lot more of that oaky flavor, and then you and I think you said it on the last show it's got like loads of that that sort of corn that you associated with with bourbon you know what I yeah. mean like that yeah it's really got a ton of like that spicy corn, corn. yeah that spicy kind of corn flavor. And then they, they, they really nailed the, uh, the finish. Cause I find that a lot of bourbons finish incredibly sweet and kind of have a medium ish finish. Um, now they say this is a long finish and thinking about it, it does have a long finish, but it's, but it's a very subtle long finish because, um, it is dry. It's, it actually finishes almost like a sherry where, uh, I almost wish I had some, uh, some sparkling water to go with it just because it like my palate goes really, really dry. Uh, and it is a long finish. Like it is a very dry and long finish, but it is, it is nice. Like it's not, um, you know, you've had some cigars that have a really long dry finish and it like, it's, that's a little unpleasant because it's too dry. Mm -hmm. I think this, this really walks that line quite nicely. Um, I mean, I haven't put it down, so that's probably a good sign about how much I'm enjoying it. And I'm going to, I'm going gonna keep taking some more sips because I can't stop. Um, so the Zafra, like it, it's interesting cause it's really sweet and I mean, again, not cloyingly sweet, like a lot of rums are, um, but it's got a surprisingly dry, short finish. It leaves a little bit of sweetness on your tongue. Um, but I mean, there's almost no finish, which is very interesting and different. Yeah. That's very unrum like Yeah. I'm finding I had to take a double puff there because, um, what I think this Wiggly Bridge is really doing, and I think this Wiggly Bridge is probably a great choice for a lot of San Andreas cigars and maybe just cigars in general, that dry finish does a wonder for this cigar because uh, the San Andreas wrapper, that chocolatey sweetness, when I take a sip of the Wiggly Bridge, my palate dries out, I take a puff of the cigar, and I just get a gargantuan amount of chocolate and I get a ton, like a blast of sweetness. And once that initial drying palate flavor sort of feel goes away, I don't get that blast of sweetness. Like, and I wanted to take a second puff just to see how fast it went away because the, the sweetness really comes down almost immediately on the, uh, on the Gurkha heritage Maduro. So that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's, you know, when I go, when I go to uh pair, beverages, spirits, and cigars, I'm really looking to accent the cigar as much as possible. And so far, this is doing a really good job. Um, it's it's really interesting because I was going to say exactly the same thing. This rum really brings out a ton of sweetness and a ton of like dark, uh, like powdered cocoa kind of chocolate. Yeah. Uh, like I can almost, I can almost, like I can literally almost taste 
like as if powdered cocoa was in my mouth. Like I'm having to roll my tongue around because it just feels like my tongue is yeah. covered in chocolate. Yeah, I get. I'm getting exactly the same experience. We're having very different beverages, but uh, the the cigar end of the experience seems to be identical. I think bourbon might have been the um, the the magical way to go with the cigar. I mean, we're going to see because we got got a got a couple beverages to go here, but um, I'm going to have to try and peel my band off because I'm already already at the band. Yeah, I already peeled my band off because, uh, I mean, it's it's a fairly small cigar with a pretty big band, uh, which, you know, is always a combination for either smoking paper or taking the band off early. Yeah, I think, oh, and they've got, uh, that's interesting. So it's it's always fun when you take the band off to see if they've got anything. Else. First of all, uh, I got to say, the, the have you seen the back of the band? Because the band is actually yeah. uh, impacted. It's not, um, it's not uh, silk printed. It's actually impact printed. It's got an impact. I don't know if you can see that really very well, but the back of the band is imprinted and it's got the uh, website on the back. So that's kind of cool, but uh, I'm sure they pay a few bucks for that because it's got gold embossing and it's got, anyways, I, I say that because I've been into uh, making bands lately and I've been discovering just how expensive bands can go. Oh. That band costs a few bucks. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a cheap band. It's kind of made of a, a nicer paper than you typically see. And then of course the front and back printing with the embossing and the gold leaf. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is a fairly fancy kind of band. So I guess that means we're kind of getting to the halfway point of the cigar. And again, uh, I'm finding the chocolate is just supercharged with the beverage. Uh, I'm sad to move on, but so, so is how this show goes. It's time to move on before our first, second, second break tonight uh and because you know gurkha has this great history with india and the uh the owners from india i figured what better way to showcase than some indian whiskey which i dig so i'm going with uh something i had about 20 or 30 shows ago this is the amrit indian single malt whiskey it's a very approachable uh single malt from india yes india does make whiskey yes it is quite good if i'm drinking it that should be an indication and it's kind of, it's kind of got a sexy bottle. It's got the uh, it's got the Himalayan mountains on the on the um, cover there, um, aged oak barrels. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Amrut and after the break, and I'll let you introduce your second beverage before we do that. Uh, so my second one is a beer. I, I I thought the flavors of this cigar would just go really well with a stout, so I went with one of my favorites, Cavatica Stout from Fort George Brewing in Astoria, Oregon. Um, sort of local to me couple hours away um and i've i've been to their brewery a couple of times and i i think that this cigar is going to pair really well with a stout yeah i almost i almost went stout went out myself and then i saw my two bottles of amrit and i'm like okay i feel like it's going to be a whiskey kind of night um a little bit about amrit uh they've actually been making liquor since 1948 so they have a quite a history of making liquor, at least by modern standards. Uh, but the bulk of the revenue really comes from other spirits. They make vodkas, they make gins, they make all these other beverages. So whiskey is kind of something that's really new for the company. Um, really, I think the the because the brand, the whiskey brand, only launched in two thousand four, and right after it was two thousand five where they're featured in the uh, whiskey bible. And of course, you know how things go when you get featured in the whiskey bible. It's kind of one of those things. Like the whiskey bible is kind of a whiskey as uh, cigars are to cigar aficionado and for good or for bad, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. So of course the moment the whiskey got uh, displayed in the whiskey Bible, people went nuts trying to get their hands on it. And it was hard to get your hands on for a little while, but now it's kind of come back into stocks. So you can pick it up at most places. Uh, one of the things I think is really cool is that they use locally grown barley in India 
to uh, to make hmm. it, which is not necessarily the case. I know that with some Japanese whiskey, they actually import the barley from Scotland, and in some cases, they import um, uh, peat fired, peat peat cured barley from Scotland. Yeah. Uh, in this case, India is using all of its own barley, which is uh, I don't know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's interesting because um, as far as I know, there's not any Japanese whiskeys out there that use Japanese barley. Can't imagine. I think I think pretty much all of them use imported barley. Yum. I'm going to talk about the flavor notes in just a minute and a little bit more about the beverage after our second sponsor. This show is sponsored by Cigar Oasis. Don't spend all your time worrying about your cigar wrappers cracking, splitting, or falling apart from humidity fluctuation issues. Set it and forget it by choosing Cigar Oasis, a professional solution which provides equal distribution of humidity with precise electronic controls. Monitor your cigars through the internet using the smart humidor Wi-Fi attachment. Why don't you spend all your time enjoying your cigars and relaxing and let Cigar Oasis protect your cigars. Cigar Oasis has solutions for any humidor. Make sure you set it and forget it today. You are tuned in to Sharing Our Brains, episode 117, Gurkha Heritage Maduro. I am your host, John, the Cigar Surgeon, joined as always by my co-host, Trippy Trent. We are broadcast live around the world and picked up in the Armed Forces Radio Network. We're doing some cigar and beverage pairings, as we always do here on Sharing Our Pairings. Um, so I'm doing the Amrit single malt whiskey. Uh, it is, uh, 46% ABV, uh, by science, which is, uh, what is that? 92 freedom proof yep. math workout, 92 freedom proof. You see the noses of licorice and bourbon, burnt honeycomb and toffee. And then the palate is oak bourbon, licorice and molasses. Um, I actually get an incredible amount of vanilla bourbon sweetness off the nose. Like it, it almost smells like four roses to me. It's got that much of a bourbon influence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely get that um, sort of Werther's original toffee, like that really deep, uh, yeah, just that really deep coffee candy kind of nose off of it. Uh, I'm going to take some more sips. I kind of took some sips during the uh, break there, but maybe you can talk about uh, a little bit about your delicious stout. Yeah. So uh, here it is, Cavatica Stout. Uh, they call it, I believe the words they use are, are dark cavernous and inky, which it certainly nice. is. Uh, so they describe it as an American double, uh, American double stout with a sweet undertow and an addictive hint of bitterness. Um, they don't say how many IBUs it is, but I would guess it's somewhere like 30 or so. I mean, it's got a little bit of that bite, uh, but not much. And then it's certainly got some sweetness, some chocolate, some vanilla, um, and then kind of those... Uh, you know, marshmallowy kind of sweetness flavors that you get from a stout. Uh, so Fort George Brewery is in, like I said before, Astoria, Oregon. They're in a building that was originally a fort there um, when it was, I don't remember exactly the history. I should have taken notes on this, but I've talked about it before. I believe it was like a, a British colony during uh, the British American war, maybe. Um, and the, Fort was renamed Fort George after King George. Um, and then after the war was over, it was renamed back to Astoria. And they've got just like this really cool building. They've got uh, a couple of different uh, kind of breweries within the brewery. So there's they have their like industrial size brewery where they, where they brew stuff like this that's out all year. And then they've got like a small, I think it's a 30 barrel system. No, it has to be smaller than that. I think it's like an 18-barrel system um, that is one of their original uh, systems that they use to brew all of their experimental stuff. 
And it's really cool because they've got like this little tap room that's inside the brewery in a little room. And all of their experimental stuff is available there. So you're getting beers that um, that don't make it into cans or don't even leave the premises except in people's stomachs. I love stuff like that. Just absolutely love it. Yeah. And, and they've got like a restaurant there. They, they have pizza. They've got really good food. So anytime we're out that way for camping or whatever, we, we try to hit them and it's always a good time. Yeah, that's, um, that's kind of cool. So the sweetness of the stout, I feel like really brings out some of the spice in the cigar that you get, you know, you kind of typically get that dark earthy spice from San Andreas and you really get that spice and that earthiness uh, after taking a sip of the stout. It covers up the sweetness a little bit and the chocolatey notes because they're so present in the beer. Um, But I think it makes for a pretty good pairing. So we've definitely diverged on our pairing experiences now. Ironically, I find the single malt whiskey from Amrit is in every way possible more spicy than the Wiggly Bridge. And I mean, like, it's just, it's just a spice bomb. Like, um, I mean, yeah, I can get a little bit of anise in, in, on the palate, but it's just, it's, it's so bourbony. Like I just get just crazy, strong, long finish, spicy, spicy. Um, and it, I think I can, I can really nose. And I think on the flavor, um, if you've ever had a whiskey that has a really pronounced, um, a really pronounced barley flavor and i don't know how to describe it like when like it's almost like some of the barley didn't fully mature or wasn't fully uh uh fermented in the mash bill so like when you have a little bit of un un sort of uncompleted barley it tends to have a little bit of sweetness but it's got mm-hmm. that sort of grainy flavor to it i don't know how to describe it other than to say like it's it's a bourbon or um it's a barley grain flavor and i get a ton of that off the nose and i definitely get that through the palate um, but it, like I said, along with that, it brings spice and what that's doing for the cigar is it's taking it in a very different direction than the Wiggly Bridge where the Wiggly Bridge had that nice, uh, dry finish and it was supercharging the uh, chocolate. The spice in this, uh, Amrit is just running over any spice that's in the cigar. A- additionally, it's not really accenting the, uh, chocolate from the Senators wrapper, but what it is doing is it's, it's supercharging the, um, the sort of, uh, graham cracker notes that I was getting initially and, and started to get a little run over by the chocolate. So what I'm finding is all that chocolate and spice that was in the cigar is just gone. And it's just mostly graham cracker, which is a pleasant experience, but certainly a substantial departure from the first pairing. Yeah, definitely. It really sounds like it's, it's a very different pairing. So I, and I'm getting, like I said, a lot of spice and chocolate, and then I am getting a little bit of that graham cracker. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm getting spice earth and some of that graham cracker. Right. And it really covers up a lot of the sweetness, but I get a little bit of that graham cracker sweetness coming through. Now I'm getting a little bit of earthiness post draw. Um, it took a couple puffs, but, um, I'm getting a lot of sort of chewy earth, um, sort of that like clayish earth post draw. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm really reaching for the chocolate there. It's just all I can taste is graham cracker. And, and like I said, it's interesting and it's good. It's just remarkable how, Two different uh, two different alcohols here are bringing out remarkably different flavors from the cigar. Um, I mean, this is almost night and day, uh, but it's still good. It's still doing what I said I enjoyed in the first pairing, which is it's it's serving to provide benefit for the cigar, which is kind of what I'm looking for in a in a pairing. I really wanted to bring out different things, more things, greater mm-hmm. things out of the cigar. I don't want the cigar to be run over by my spirit. Yeah, um, and. We have an audience question that is kind of a loaded question. Um, Jason, my favorite. 
Jason Sovka wants to know with reviews like this, like, you know, we're, we're really enjoying this cigar truly. I mean, genuinely really enjoying this cigar. Why do you think Gurkha gets so much hate? Cause I, I want to hear your ha- answer before I go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's easy. I think that, um, there's no question. I think everyone knows that Gurkha has a substantial amount of cigars that are sold through catalog companies. And, uh, with no disrespect to all of the cigar smokers out there, but y'all a bunch of cheap, cheap mofos and everyone is always looking for a deal. So everyone's always buying the, the, like you said at the beginning, they're buying the, the, the bundled cigars. It's two fifty or three bucks a cigar. And while I'm sure it's a good cigar, it's probably not going to be a great cigar. And so what they're doing is they're judging based on, you know, maybe what's an inflated MSRP and it's kind of marked down for the catalog companies because it kind of looks good and it makes people think they're getting a great deal, which, you know, they kind of are. If it's a 2 or $3 cigar, that's that's a pretty good deal. But you're not necessarily getting the flavor out of what would be considered a, a sort of a traditional normal boutique market release like this Heritage Maduro. So I think the people that are buying those bundles of cigars for 35 bucks or 40 bucks for a bundle, they're not the ones that are maybe they haven't tried any of the midstream or higher end releases like the heritage Maduro. And so they're kind of basing all of the, the cigars on that one release. And like you said, and like we said, they have like, they have so many releases. Like, I don't even think I could name, uh, I don't even think I could name half of them. I know during the interview at IPCPR with Eddie Guerra, uh, we asked Eddie to list their catalog and I think he was talking for like two minutes. Yeah. Just in broad I, strokes. I think he said, I believe it was actually on Cigar Chat. The last time he was on Cigar oh, yeah, Chat, yeah, yeah. I think he said they had a, somewhere around a thousand SKUs. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not like, uh, they're not like Romacraft. They don't make 12 Vitolas in each blend. Correct. They, each blend is like, I don't know, between one and five Vitolas. Yeah. That is a lot of blends. That's a lot of blends. And I mean, I, that's not, that's not individual sizes. That's blends. Yeah, exactly. And so I I mean I I completely agree. It's it's that their main market is the catalog consumer. The guy who's going to open his catalog and say, "Wow, that's a really good deal. I'm going to buy those." That's where they sell all their cigars. Um the the cigars like this aren't their real money makers and they're not marketing I I think that's part of their problem is that they're not doing as good of a job as they could marketing towards the serious cigar geeks. Um, but that's because they're making millions of dollars yeah, marketing I mean, to the other, the other seg, the larger segment of the market. Yeah. I mean, sadly the boutique smokers, like the people that are tuned into this show tonight and those guys like us that go out and buy boutique cigars, that isn't probably the, I mean that frankly, that isn't the majority of cigar customers out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you were to talk like, like who was it? I think I saw the other day, somebody, somebody was posting or skip, skip from Romacraft was posting that there was a, a B&M that said uh, he had never heard of Romacraft before. And it's like, well, on one hand, I think that's ridiculous. How could you have never <laughs> heard of Romacraft before? At the same time, I can I can understand that because if you're a traditional B&M that sells, you know, typical catalog style cigars um, from all the major manufacturers, mm-hmm. you've probably never heard of the majority of the boutique cigars out there. And frankly, you might not care because people are coming in and they're buying, you know, the, the sort of mainstream products that have been out on the market for 10 or 15 years and they're happy and your, your business is doing quite well. Um, can you find a better cigar in the boutique market? Well, we know that's true. We, we, you know, we live and die here at Cigar Federation based on boutique cigars. Um, but I absolutely firmly believe that there's a huge segment of of people out there that have not even remotely moved out of the comfort zone of 
sort of a traditional um, mainstream cigar release into the boutique releases. And uh, I would I would certainly classify this Heritage Maduro in that classification of boutique style releases. Yeah, and and I think part of the problem for or part of the reason for the hate, a big reason for the hate, is their marketing can be so gimmicky. You know, you get a free knife, you get a, a hat or whatever. Those knives all, are super cool, by dude, the way. I've, I've got one of those knives. And I wish I had one of those knives. It, I wish I could get it into Canada, but no I way. I mean, it's it's like the, you know, it's it's a giveaway knife. So it's like the quality of like a $15, $20 knife. Um, but it's a solid knife. It's my daily carry knife now. Because uh, it's just, it's kind of a beast. It's built like a tank. Um, but I, I see that marketing rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. They're not focusing like when you buy X cigar, people aren't buying that because they get 20 cigars. They're buying that because they get a cool knife. Yes. And if, um, I mean, if that works for them and it so works it. in spades. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it might sound like we're shit talking Gurkha, but I mean, they're making millions of dollars. I can't shit talk that. No. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's a business. And, uh, you know, they're obviously a very successful company off of all the blends they make. And, you know, our job here at, at Sharing Our Parents and certainly Cigar Federation is to, to focus on the more boutique end of, of the spectrum. And we've got a lot of um, sort of very extremely boutique uh, Gurkha reviews coming, like the Cellar yeah. Reserve, um, some of the aged collection. And that's going to move that dial, I think, a little bit where people are going to read some things about those cigars that they're like, well... I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily expect that from Kirk. And it's like, well, if you haven't tried a seller reserve, if you haven't tried a 15 year age, it doesn't surprise me that that would catch you by surprise because again, you're judging it based on catalog releases, not based on some of their more high end releases that you don't typically see on. Yeah. And, and my two cents is, uh, that they should change their marketing a little bit and they can continue marketing their catalog stuff the way they do. It sells like crazy. But I think that stuff like the Heritage should be marked Gurkha Boutique or something like that. Something mm. that markets towards the geek crowd a little bit more because, uh, frankly, they're, they're the type of cigars that we want to buy, but we don't know that Gurkha makes all of them. Mm. We don't know which ones are the, the boutique style cigars and which ones are the catalog cigars. It, it, get lo- it unfortunately gets lost in the wide very wide range of cigars that they offer. And, you know, we've yeah. said it, continue to say it all the way from boutique up to dog, you better be a Shaw because you're not affording that cigar unless, you know, unless you're driving that Bentley and you got that oil money, you're not, you're not going to be able to pick up that cigar, sadly. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a better way to say it. Cool. Uh, I am, uh, I'm going to hop into our last, uh, uh, ad spot here from one of our sponsors before we get into our last pairing. I'm kind of excited for this last one. I'm taking it in a very different direction. Uh, sometimes that works out, sometimes not. So please stay tuned for word from one of our show sponsors. Show brought to you by Drew Estate. Until June 30th, if you're a Drew Diplomat member, you attend a rewards program event and make a promotional purchase, you will receive a Liga Pravada Velvet Rat. You'll also be entered to win a Drew Diplomat Pewter Ashtray, Mega Standing Ashtray, or the Swag Closet Humanor, dubbed the Divorcinator. All these products were built and designed by Drew Estate Subculture Studios. If you're not a member, download the Drew Diplomat app from the Apple Store or Google Play Store today. This is Sharing Our Pairings, episode 117, Gurkha Heritage Maduro. I'm your host, John, the cigar surgeon, joined as always by Trippy Trent. We're doing some Gurkha Heritage Maduro pairing. I'm doing some whiskey. 
Trippy was shaking things up a little bit with a delicious stout. I'm getting a little crazy with this last pairing. Um, this is one of my favorite whiskeys, full stop. Uh, I've described this as a sherry bomb, one of the most sherried whiskeys I've ever had in my life and continue to have. From the same distillery, Amrut, keeping it within the India release. This was uh, bottled on May 2011. Uh, it is, I don't know if you can see that, but it's 57.1% ABV. That's, uh, I don't know, what is that, like 200 freedom proof? Like that's, that's way up there. Wait, what is the ABV? 571 Ooh. So 114.2 proof if my uh, alcohol math kind of works out there. Um, hold up the uh, glass. This is this is not colored in any way. You can see like it's dark. It is it is dank. Um, woo, I mean, it is just it is a sherry bomb. So I'll talk a little bit about this particular beverage. It is again one of my favorites. So it has a bit of a lifespan. It initially ages in bourbon casks, then they put it in sherry casks. And they put it back into bourbon casks. Uh, it is a very limited edition bottle. If you can see it on the shelf, you should probably snap it off. If, if you are a big fan of uh, single malt whiskeys that are crazy, crazy sherry, this is going to be one of the most sherried whiskeys you may ever have. Um, they just, they have very flowery descriptions. Uh, they say that the structure is decidedly oak-based, but uh, the, the, the oak-based structure is no more than a skeleton to provide juicy sultana and spices. Uh, the barley kicks in. It's got some licorice, orangey honeycomb. Uh, the bourbon plays in there, and the spices kind of pulse and glow. I don't know about any wow. of the flowery stuff. That All is I know very is, flowery. <laughs> it is very flowery. All I know is this is a sherry bomb. Uh, it, it can surprise you in many, many different ways. I'm going to take some sips to let my palate acclimate because it is it is a big, big whiskey in so many ways, and I'll let you talk about your last pairing of the night. Um, I've got maybe an even bigger whiskey. This is Booker's. Um, and my lighting really messes with the uh, the close-ups of the labels here. Um, so Booker's, for those that don't know, it is, I mean, it's it's pretty well-known. It's probably the, the most well-known small-batch bourbon there is. Um, it's produced by Jim Beam. It's unfiltered and uncut, which means basically just means that it's cask strength and not not chill filtered or filtered at all. Um, and every bottle of this is going to be aged somewhere between six and eight years. Um, they don't put in a specific age statement on it because they basically bottle it when it's ready. And every batch is a little bit different. They've got kind of uh, a couple years ago they started naming the batches. Um, this particular bottle is from before they started doing that. Um, uh, in the old days when Booker No was still alive, um, or actually, yeah, I think he's passed away now. Um, but when he was still involved, he was hand selecting every single bottle for Booker's. And when he departed the company, um, presumably somebody else took that over, but it's, it's really like, this is the origination of small batch whiskey it's it's where small batch bourbon really came from they they claim to have even coined the phrase small batch uh in terms of whiskey um so this particular bottle is was aged for seven years seven months and 13 days and bottled in july of 2014 and it clocks it in a in a kind of insane 64.45 percent abv good god that is 128.9 Peru. Good God. Um, yeah. So I think I might add a little water to this one. Um, but I'll, I'm going to see how it tastes first. And of course, I, 
I was talking to John, not really paying attention, and and poured about Ooh. two ounces of this bad boy. Um, After Dark's gonna get interesting tonight. Oh yeah, it sure is. Now, can I just say uh, one of the things I learned from Jim Murray, who was the uh, former distillery master at Brocladi, mm-hmm. and he taught me something really interesting about adding water to whiskey. And he said. Uh, the thing about adding water to whiskey is once you add water to whiskey, you can't take it away. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that he does is he'll oh, take yeah. A, yeah, he'll take a sip of water, kind of swirl it around in his mouth and leave a little bit of water in his mouth and take a sip of the beverage to uh, to kind of mix with the with the beverage. And what that does for you is it doesn't change the original pour. Um, but you can control the amount of water and you can you can sort of test with more water, less water without really affecting that original spirit that's in the glass. I mean, obviously, you know, if you want to add spirit to at 64%, that's that's a bomb. That's a monster. Yeah. So no harm. I mean, your your palate gets pretty jacked after 58%. Um, but it's it's a good alternative if you're not sure whether you want to add water to it or not. It's a good way to play around with it. That's a, a, go- a great idea. I'd uh, I'd never thought of it that way. I mean, I've, I've done it without thinking about exactly what I'm doing. Um, but I never thought about, you know, intentionally keeping a little water in your mouth before you take a sip. So I'm going to talk about this, um, Amrit. Oh God. It's, um, I mean, I haven't had a drama of this in a very long time. Uh, it is just, uh, absolute, um, Christmas cake, stewed fruit, spice bomb in a glass. Um, my palate almost can't take it. It's so spicy. I mean, it's just every kind of anise and orange and spice and stewed fruit, um, salty. Um, it's even got like, like it, it actually makes me think of if you've ever seen a polonia, you know, that smell you get off of really, uh, high temperature fermenting Maduro wrapper. Oh yeah. That sort of really chewy, thick Maduro where you almost want to chew it. Like you almost want to put it in your mouth. Um, I get a lot of that tobacco type thick flavor in my mouth. Um, surprisingly I can still taste the cigar. Um, but I am, it is definitely being taken in a different direction here. Um, I'm getting a lot more of the, um, sort of spicy earth from the cigar. And I think a lot of the nuanced notes of uh, powdered cocoa, graham cracker, uh, I'm really finding myself reaching for those because I think they're getting run over by this last beverage. And I'm finding, so I mean, obviously this whiskey is super hot, um, but it brings out so much of that dry cocoa in the cigar. Nice. Like dry cocoa and sweetness for days. Um, and of, of course the bourbon is um, as intense as you would expect. It's got tons of dried fruit, tons of vanilla, um, and less of the kind of smokiness than you than you would typically expect from a, a bourbon that's this high proof. It's um, the smokiness is kind of restrained, and I I think that probably comes down to that they they don't age this for super long. Makes sense. Um, I'm going to, uh, well, we still got some time here and, uh, please do stay tuned after the show. We're going to have a, probably a significant after dark segment. We've got a fair, probably, probably a, like a little, a little argument almost little, 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 <laughs> little, uh, very enthusiastic discussion as they say. Um, so I'm going to run back over my spirits tonight. Wiggly bridge distillery. So glad to get my hands on this, um, small batch bourbon whiskey, great pairing, uh, if you can find this on the shelf, this is a great whiskey to pair with cigars. Uh, it's not going to run over your cigar for the most part. Uh, I think, you know, we've, we're, we're dealing with a fairly medium, 
medium strength cigar I would I would describe it as and the bourbon is doing a great job of accenting the flavors within the cigar really supercharging the, the tobacco um, I think that was probably one of my favorite pairings of the night uh, just because it really showcased what the cigar has to offer so I think I'm gonna probably put that pairing at 9394 um, for me it wow. really did a great job of just Everything that I want to showcase in the cigar, the spirit did a great job of that while still being able to enjoy the original spirit. And uh, so my my Zafra, um, I that that one just that rum goes so well with cigars. It's so smooth and it's got so much bourbon character um, without having uh, that what I find kind of off-putting sweetness of rum. It's got the the soul of a rum, but the flavor of a bourbon. Um, and I find it goes really well with this cigar in particular. It really brought out those chocolate notes and that sweetness. Um, I think I would give that one a 92. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the second pairing of the night, I went with the Amrit Single Malt Whiskey. Uh, it had, uh, like I said, a lot of that sort of barley flavor to it. Um, it was a lot spicier than the Wiggly Bridge, but it did... It did so in a really interesting way because it showcased different flavors within the cigar that weren't necessarily being highlighted. That being said, it was not the same level of pairing as the Wiggly Bridge, and I would probably put that as a 88-89. Very good pairing, but really doesn't break the bank for me. It's not something I'm necessarily going to reach for. I'm going to enjoy it, but it's not something I'm necessarily going to seek out. And the Cavatica Stout. Um, I thought the Stout was going to go really well with this cigar, but I feel like it paired better with the Spirits. Um, this, the stout really brought out some, uh, some of the more earthy flavors, but it covered up that sweetness and some of the spice that I think really makes this cigar shine. Um, so I would give that one an 87. Moving on to my last pairing of the night. Again, pretty much one of my favorite, uh, probably top three sherried whiskeys, uh, that I enjoy on a regular basis. Um, unfortunately, it's so hot. It's so big. It's so full-bodied. You really have to pair this with a beast of a cigar um, because, unfortunately, what this does in this case is it really runs over all of the great things that I like about the cigar, the powdered cocoa, that little bit of uh, nuanced spice, that graham cracker. All of that is lost because this whiskey is just so strong and so full on my palate that really all I get is the, uh, the, the earthiness, a little bit of dank earthiness in the post-drop. And unfortunately, that's not what I'm looking for. I don't want my spirit to run over the cigar. I still want to be able to taste the unique characteristics. So unfortunately, this last pairing is a bit of a miss for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in the 8045 range. Um, you know, definitely wouldn't be seeking this out in the future, but it was kind of a fun experiment. It sounds like our final pairing was really kind of identical, even though they were completely different like ranges of spirits. Um, the Booker's is just too strong for the cigar. Um if if you watered it, if you added some water to it, I feel like it might work. Uh, but I, I think I should have gone with a, a more kind of standard bourbon because uh, the cigar is, I would say, firmly medium bodied. Uh, it's a little little more full than than medium, but it's not quite at medium full. And I mean, Booker's just runs it right over. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I would um, give that an 85. 85. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I think, I think again, you know, we have to talk about strength matching 
And uh, this is this is definitely a cigar that's made to be very approachable for a lot of cigar smokers out there. Uh, and unfortunately, if you're going with a really full-bodied spirit or even like a super full-bodied stout, it's just going to be too much for a cigar like this. And you want to stay in that medium to light range. Um, there's a lot of bourbons, I think, that would pair excellently. So this, to me, I think what we've learned tonight is that a bourbon is a bourbon that's approachable around the 40 to 46 range is probably the right ballpark for this particular cigar. Yeah, I think so. Just a heads up to our audience that uh, we are taking a break. Normally, we'd have cigar chat on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Uh, we're instead going to be re- working on reviews this week. We don't have a special guest, so we'll have to take a week off, and we'll be back at a regular scheduled time next Thursday at 8 p.m. with a very, very special guest. Check out the event calendar well, Cigar Federation. L- let's talk about that guest a little bit. All right. Uh, so the guest we're having is Hand Rolled, a film about cigars. Uh these guys are making a documentary about cigars. They're interviewing people all over the industry. They're, um, they've, I, they've already done interviews in, I think, Miami. They've done interviews in Nicaragua. I believe Cuba? they're – have they gone to Cuba already? I'm not sure if they have or not. I, I, think, I think they may be planning on it, but I'm not they, sure about that. They, they interviewed Hirochi, didn't they? They did, yes. Um, they were doing a bunch of interviews in L.A. with uh, – they in LA they interviewed like Daniel Marshall. They're interviewing people from all over the industry. They're going to Connecticut in a few weeks. They'll be on next week. If you ask a question and your question get a, gets asked on the show, you will be entered to win a lighter or a t-shirt. Get your weasel on. Get you get that weasel on, dog. Get that weasel on. So please stay tuned. Uh, we're going to do an after dark segment for all the MMA slash boxing fans out there. This might be a topic of interest to you. We welcome all of your questions, all of your shit talk, all of your feedback. Uh, feel free to get those in at our Facebook page or cigarfederation.com. Thanks everyone who's tuned into this live uh, FRN segment of sharing our pairings. As we say on sharing our pairings, we do want you to drink better. We want you to drink less. So we're back. This is the after dark segment of sharing our pairings. Um, yeah, this uh, man, I love this whiskey so much. This Amrit Intermediate Sherry, and it's just, it's just so big. It's so overpowering. I really was hoping it was going to work with a cigar, but uh, no bueno. I, I was going to ask what it said because I, I could read Amrit Single Malt um, and and Sherry, but there was the word in between that I now know is intermediate. Um, yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. And it's got a it's I, got a bull on the front because that's uh, that's what this that's what this whiskey is. You get on the back of a bull and just hope it doesn't kick you in the face. Um, I I forgot to mention during the AFRN segment. I I've been meaning to mention this for like three weeks. The app is back. If you're watching this and you've been w- trying to get the uh, Cigar Federation app, it's back on the App Store now. Nice. iTunes has finally relented. Finally. So we were kind of talking in the green room before the show. There's a, a there's a there's a small tiny little event happening this Saturday. Uh, some of our viewers, some of our listeners might be aware of it. It's uh, it's well, interesting. Actually, well, okay, continue. But first, we're going to talk about the news that came out this morning. All right, let's talk about that first. All right, let's talk about that before we finish talking about this. So, uh, if you if you're an MMA fan, you you've been of course following this whole Jones Cormier saga. Uh, they've had a uh, a very storied history mm-hmm. between them. And John Jones finally put the last nail in the coffin and proved that he was the better fighter. And this morning I woke up and looked at Twitter. I mean, I mean, he proved that he was the better fighter in the sense that he won the fight. He won um, the fight. 
sort of. Uh, I I honestly don't think he's the better fighter. He's a spectacular fighter, um, but he's a terrible human being. Good and, way to put it. And and this morning the news broke that uh, hours before the fight, like less than twenty four hours before they fought, he was popped for anabolic steroids again. Again, oral steroids, um, no less. Yeah, and so this is his third suspension in four I, I want to say it's his third. I know it's for sure his second, but I was going to say I'm pretty sure this is his third suspension. Well, so the first suspension, he was suspended because he was in that car accident with a pregnant lady, and he ran away. Um, and then after he was suspended for that, we found out that he – was that the one where he was on cocaine? Where yeah. There was cocaine in his system before the yeah. fight? Um, and that was, again, that was a weigh-in. And I can't remember if they popped him for a, a substance thing or they just popped him for um, for just a conduct thing. I, I think it was a conduct thing. And yeah. then the substance thing was like, well, he's already That's suspended, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Um, and then they brought him back. And right before the second fight even happened, he got popped for anabolic steroids. It was like, I mean, I want to say it was like Thursday or Friday of that week and they were fighting on Saturday. It was like... It might have even been after the press conference on Friday morning or on Thursday um, and like before the weigh in. But again, he he got popped for anabolic steroids that time. and They called the fight off. And then he finally like, did you watch the last one? The last fight? No, I didn't watch the fight. Uh, I, so, I, I couldn't. So Jones versus Cormier, too. He was very like, I'm turning my life around and I'm done with all of this. Like I was a young kid and I was making dumb mistakes. And then he won and he was like crying, talking to Joe Rogan, like, you know, I finally did it. I'm I'm back. I I've redeemed myself. And then now we know that he was on steroids. And I mean, I don't know if there's any coming back from this. Well, I, I first of all, I don't think there's any coming back from this. I think that there's no way that the UFC could sanction him again. I don't think the fight commission would sanction him again. Yeah. Uh, I think as a professional fighter, at least within the greater UFC league, I think that he is done. And I just want to say that, you know, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion for fans and stuff that goes along with MMA. I mean, I've been watching MMA a long time. Mm-hmm. I've been watching MMA since I had to pirate UFC two back in 92. So I haven't, I've watched, you know, from, from the very start of, of, the sport and I've seen the evolution of the sport and frankly where the sport is today is certainly much high, much more high level than when it started out as sort of a spectacle. Mm-hmm. But Cormier has been getting crapped on for years as what has been, a lot of people have kind of considered it spoiled milk. Um, you know, he's been saying this entire time that John Jones abuses substances and people have been just mm-hmm. shitting on him time and time again. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this is vindication for Cormier and people who support Cormier yeah. and say, well, yeah, he's been right the entire time. He has been popping drugs and this whole faux, like I've turned my life around thing was just, you know, it was just a statement to try and get his, his, uh, social media cred back that people buy into it. And it turns out it was just, it was just a story. It was just total fabrication. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy to me that he, that he couldn't get it together after, after like two years of like just going off the rails in a real bad way. Yeah. And I said, you know, and this is probably going to bring some hate mail, but I don't give a shit. Um, it it really reminds me of the, um, of the Terminator, not the Terminator. Uh, what's, what's her name? I always forget her name because I just hate her so much. Oh, Chris Cyborg. 
Chris Cyborg, the Cyborg. So it, to me, there's a lot of parallels because Cyborg uh, has been abusing substances. She got popped like seven or eight or nine times, and yet she still gets sanctioned because there's unfortunately there's there's a, a lack of shall we say showcase women in MMA, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people like to shit on women's MMA, and so she's still got fights out there. But there's no question in my mind that she's still using in some way. Um, because she's just huge. If you look at her, she, you know, it's the same thing as like a big bodybuilder. You she's, can only get, she's built like Brock Lesnar. She's built like Brock Lesnar. You can't get that big without illegal substances. I'm, I'm sorry. You can't. It's just a, it's a, it's a basic reality of human physiology. You can only get so big. Uh, and that's why a lot of these fighters turn to these substances to get that edge. And the fact of the matter is it's against the rules. You can't do it. And, uh, you know, to me, it's the same thing. It's like, if you want to be taken seriously as a fighter, you got to stop using this stuff. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is fighters like that, they just get their asses handed to them if they didn't, because that's the yeah. edge that they have in the ring. Yeah. Cause that's, that's how they, they stay at that level. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I feel bad for John Jones. Like, sure. It's sad that he was able to build up this fandom and has, just shit all over everybody who supports him every single time. You know, there's still going to be people that are going to support John Jones. They're going to, I mean, I'm sure that in a week's time, there's going to be some story about a trainer that was giving him a substance for a training thing. And he didn't know it had uh, steroids in it. I mean, you know, F off, man. Like you were responsible as a fighter for everything that goes into your body, whether that's a true story or not. And I don't believe that's a, the true story for John Jones. Uh, ultimately you're the one that's responsible for that you have to know what you're taking every time because ultimately you're the one that's that has to be responsible for that and in this case uh you know third third strike uh i think he's done i don't think he's, he's out I don't think he's coming back from that i mean uh, even so i mean uh this morning the way i found out is i don't know i was on facebook or something and it was like a a post about dana white that was like dana white says john jones is probably done and when Dana White says that John Jones is done, that's when you know he's really done. Yeah, yeah. Dana, Dana White, tends to tiptoe around that stuff. A, yeah, he's put a lot on the line for John Jones over and over again. And every time he stood up and said, like, you know, he'll come back from this. And this time he's like, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. he's coming back. No, you can't. You can't put a multi-billion-dollar uh, fight organization on the line for someone who's going to continue to break the rules and make the sport look bad because it does make the sport look bad. It casts aspersions on all the other fighters that are out there that are doing it legitimately, that aren't breaking the rules, um, that are fighting within the context of the restrictions, which is no steroids, man. Sorry. You you can't take TRT. You can't take steroids. That's the rules. So, so now let's talk about uh, what's going on this weekend, that little event. So before we get into that, should we check to make sure uh, the, 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 the audience feedback and uh, comments haven't uh, blown up from that little tirade. Right they there. didn't somehow. I'm we, shocked. We've we've definitely still got people watching, but nobody's complaining about that. Um, all right, fair enough. Appar- apparently, we've got all uh, John Jones haters watching. Fair enough. So there is um, there is a little bit of an event uh, coming up this Saturday, and uh, I'll just kind of repeat what I said in the green room, which is to me this fight is as important for boxing. As back, I think it was UFC three or four, when there was a boxer that entered UFC, and mm-hmm. at the time, all the boxers were saying, "Well, this 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 fighter, this 
quote unquote professional amateur fighter that's fighting MMA is going to get completely dominated by this boxer because boxing is such a professional sport taken at a very high level. And this boxer is going to hand his ass, hand his ass to him. And I said at the time that would be true if this was a boxing match, but when you take a boxer in an MMA, there's so many other skills that a boxer doesn't have in an MMA match. And yes, the average bo- the average MMA fighter doesn't have the same boxing skill as this boxer does, but that's not going to matter because that boxer is going to be taken down and the fight's going to be over because all of his skills go out the window when he's on his back. And to me, this is really the reverse of that. We're seeing the whole fight game come full circle. Mm-hmm. We've got this premier world-class MMA fighter fighting not just a professional boxer, not just a top-ranked boxer, but arguably one of the best boxers at his at I, his weight class in the last 10 years, 15 years. Arguably. I, I wouldn't argue this, but he's arguably the greatest boxer of all time. His record there, says so. Ex- exactly. I mean, it's like it's like a Super Bowl team. If you've got the rings, that's what defines you as a winner. And he's got he's 49 and 0, isn't he? Like this would mm-hmm. this would put him as 50 and 0. So that would if he went to 50 and 0, that would make him the greatest winningest boxer of all time. Yeah. And I'm down on record. I've got money on this fight that two things are going to happen. One, McGregor's going to lose. To me, it's not even it's not even a contest. This is a spectacle. It's not a contest. And two, McGregor is going to get knocked out in the first round. And I just want to get that out on as many channels as possible. Absolutely could be wrong. I'm not a boxing genius. I do not have the Phil Zangi level of expertise in boxing. I am a very casual boxing uh, watcher. But I've watched a lot of MMA. I've watched a lot of Pride. Mm-hmm. I've watched a lot of other fights. And taking an MMA fighter and putting him in a boxing ring with a world-class, best-in-class boxing guy they are so far apart in terms of the sport they are facing each off against. It's it's not even it's it's just it's ridiculously lopsided, ridiculously lopsided. I I completely agree. It's it's totally lopsided. I mean, Conor McGregor, he's not even the best boxer in his division. Not uh, even remotely. I you, mean, you he, could argue you could argue that Nick Diaz is probably the best. Yeah, boxer. exactly. That's what exactly what I was going to say. Nick Diaz or uh, Nate Diaz completely schooled him at boxing. Hundred percent. Twice. Um, and and Connor won because he's a better MMA fighter than Nate Diaz is. But Nate Diaz is absolutely a better boxer. The the thing that brings it around that kind of um, I don't know. I don't know if it even evens it out. It doesn't even it out. It kind of evens the scales a little bit. Uh, the eight ounce gloves uh, is a big factor for Connor because he's used to fighting in those four ounce gloves and what. What does Mayweather usually fight with? Twelve ounce, sixteen ounce? I think it's I think it's twelve ounce. I think it's twelve ounce in his weight division. Yeah. Um, but they made a special exception for his for the the, for the fight. Yeah. This fight. Because I don't think Mayweather gives a shit. I, I I mean Mayweather's like whatever, yeah. man. You want to put on MMA gloves? Let's put on MMA gloves. It doesn't matter. I'm going to school you. So the the thing that Connor has in his favor is the eight ounce gloves. And that he's a very, very non-traditional striker. He's got those like weird stances and stuff. Um, and he's a southpaw, man. He's a southpaw. Yeah, he's a southpaw. He's a southpaw. Um, but even with him being a southpaw and having weird stances and using eight ounce gloves, I don't think he's got a chance. I don't think he's going out in the first round. But because he's got uh, he's got a pretty good chin. I mean, uh, so I watched their press conference today, and and. 
it was really interesting because Connor goes up there and he's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to fuck him up. I'm going to. You know, he doesn't know what's coming for him. He can't stand my left hook. He's not going to make it to the second round. And Mayweather goes up there and he's like, yeah, I mean, we're going to fight. I'm going to we're going to we're going to fight and I'm going to win. And that's how it's going to be. And yeah. like, it's funny because all of the shit talking is coming from Connor's side. All of it. A hundred percent. But the one thing that he said that I thought was like kind of a valid point is how many times has Mayweather been elbowed or shinned or kicked in the face um no times no times connor as we know can take an elbow to the face and stand up there's no question there's no question but how many times has he faced a professional boxer in mma that gets him into the corner gets him into the rings and and just delivers a continuous flurry of combinations because quite frankly there's I don't even know if there's anybody in MMA that even has what I would designate as a professional level of skill for boxing. It is so well. The, different. the only one is Holly Holm. She's the sure, only yes, professional yes, boxer. Yes, in absolutely. MMA. And and look what happened there. Yeah, she she took a world class fighter and knocked her the fuck out. Well, and, and then she got submitted. And then she got submitted. But you know when when you when it comes down to stand up skill. Where all of ninety percent, I want to say ninety percent of Connor's ability, takedowns, grappling, kicks, elbows, all that stuff, that's not coming into play. And I can tell you, as a guy who who did a little bit of MMA training, MMA training and boxing training is like is like being a really good bicyclist and then entering a uh, a, a running um like a marathon. Yeah. The, the conditioning is totally different. It's a totally, totally different body thing. It's like you can't just train MMA and then get into a boxing match and stand 12 rounds with a professional boxer and expect that you're sk- – now, granted, I know McGregor's been training. I don't want to take that away from him. He's been training hard. Kudos to him. But it's a totally non-transferable skill. You can't just train really, really hard to get your conditioning well from MMA and step into a boxing ring. It's a completely different level of conditioning, which is why they're completely different sports. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be flabbergasted if Connor's prediction comes true and he knocks out Floyd Mayweather in the second round. That's what his prediction is, and I, I mean, do it would not be, see that happening. I mean, it would be amazing, but you know what I've said in in online and personal conversations about this fight, and I've had a lot of them because. You know, to to McGregor's credit, he's been talking this fight up into the to make it this mega spectacle, the like of which hasn't been seen since Pacquiao Mayweather. Really, I think it harkens back to the Tyson fights of of pre-fight talk. Um, McGregor has 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 amped this fight up to just incredible proportions, and I think Mm -hmm. that. Whether this fight ends in the first round or the second round or goes the distance, I think everybody's going to feel like they got their money's worth. Uh, even if you're paying the nine thousand dollar or whatever absurd inflated prices of uh, of being out there for the uh, for the for the fight, um, I don't know why people are calling me during the show. Don't call me during the show. I'm busy. Um, I think that uh, there's there's never been a question in my mind that Mayweather's going to come out on top. And the side bet that I have is whether that McGregor can even make it the 12 rounds because there's just no way. I mean, there's nothing that McGregor can bring into that ring 
that Mayweather has not seen already. He's not bringing some mystery science into boxing that Mayweather hasn't seen. Boxing is a sport that goes back a very long ways. So Keith Breland is watching, and uh, his his first comment is, come on, he's a business boxer, not the best boxer. A business boxer. (laughs) I agree. Yes, it's I, I would agree with that. And that's what a lot of people have said is that Mayweather doesn't have a lot of knockouts. You know, it goes the distance. I mean, he hasn't knocked anybody out in I think it's eight years, nine years. But look at the fighters that he's been fighting. The like it's he's not fighting tomato cans. And I'm not yeah. saying let me just say I don't think McGregor's a tomato can. But Mayweather hasn't been fighting tomato cans. He's been fighting other world-class boxers. Every like you want to talk world-class boxers. Let's put McGregor in the in the ring against uh, Pacquiao. Pacquiao would lay a beating on McGregor, oh, yeah. likes of which McGregor wouldn't couldn't even possibly imagine. And arguably, you know, there's a lot of controversy, but Mayweather still came out on top. These are world-class boxers. These are not tomato cans. The level of skill at that level of boxing is extremely high. This is not the Tyson era where you got, uh, uh, what's that idiot's name? That uh, There's a lot of idiots that have been knocked out in boxing that probably had no business of being in the boxing ring in the first place. And it was just it was just a spectacle to make it a spectacle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's what this is. And and Keith, in, in another comment, he says, Mayweather does have a problem with long reach, which he does, uh, but he's still going to dominate Connor. He says Connor's probably going to get DQ'd for throwing an illegal strike, mm. like mm. an elbow or a knee okay. or something, which I could see happening. So I want to say that I was when we were, we were down to Vegas for the IPCBR, I was extremely tempted to throw a hundy down on the likelihood of Mayweather or uh, McGregor being DQ'd for something illegal. And and yeah. it's not a slam against McGregor. When you fight at that level, and I don't fight at that level, I'm not a professional MMA fighter, but I do know the fight game well enough to say that that stuff has gone from a conscious level of skill to, yeah, a, exactly. to a subconscious. Thro- throwing knees and elbows is unconscious. It's though. unconscious. When, when someone comes in and throws punches, you throw up your arms and you go for a clinch and you go for a takedown. When, when somebody comes in for a clinch, you throw knees to the body, you throw elbows to the head. That's how MMA works. And this stuff is drilled in and it's reflexive. And I can absolutely see, you know, mm-hmm. when he, if he, if, or when he gets rattled, that he responds with an MMA strike. And I don't like, I guess the question becomes if he hits Mayweather with an elbow, are they going to let that go with a point deduction or are they going to DQ him right off the start? You got to wonder, you know, is the ref going to let that fight go and let him have a second shot? Because I think that factors in a lot of it as to whether he's going to be DQ'd because I think there is a high likelihood that if, if McGregor gets rally, uh, rocked and, and he's on the ropes that he's he, like in his brain he's pan gonna, gets He's going to go into animal brain. He's going to go into animal brain for a takedown, which could be hella entertaining, quite frankly. To see, <laughs> yeah. to see a double leg of the ring would be very entertaining. Or, or to see Mayweather get knocked out with a flying elbow or something. It would be amazing. Um, but, but that would still be a loss. <laughs> That'd be a loss. This is, this is a boxing match. So I don't know. You know, you got to wonder to what degree. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion pre-fight where the, the ref is already going to, before the fight, have a very long conversation with McGregor to say, if I see you throw an illegal strike, if I see you throw a headbutt, if I see you throw a knee, if I see you throw a leg shot, you know, you're going to get an immediate point deduction. I'm not warning you that's an immediate point deduction. If I see it yeah. twice, anything, it's a DQ. And I could absolutely see that that ref sort of prefacing that because the refs are, are experienced professionals. 
they must know that there's some potential of that happening. I mean, they have to, yeah. So, fight predictions, Trippy. Where do you think this fight is going to go on um, Saturday? Let's, let's put it all out there live on the internets. I'm going to say my prediction is that Connor's Connor's actually going to do pretty well the first round. He might not, he's not going to win the round, I don't think, but he might do okay. Um, round two, things are going to fall apart. Round three is getting knocked out. And I'm saying that um, I'm on record. McGregor's going to get knocked out in the first round. <laughs> knocked the fuck out. Now, nah, that very well might not be true. Um, but I think either way, this is going to be one of the most watched fights in easily 10 years. Um, it's going to be uh, a fight that brings a lot of MMA fighters to the to the boxing fold, per se. And, and you know, maybe it'll bring a lot of uh, guys who are hardcore uh, boxing guys who don't mm-hmm. really appreciate MMA. Because I think there's a lot of boxer fans out there that, you know, think MMA is a bunch of hugging and a bunch of guys rolling around on the ground and, and don't necessarily appreciate the level of skill that's that's in MMA. And maybe that'll bring them into the MMA fold to make them appreciate MMA. But I do absolutely think this is a very, very important fight for boxing. Um, and I think it's going to it's gonna be one of those things, kind of like when, when Tiger went into golf, where it could, you know, this could be the resurgence for boxing, which I think has been waning in popularity, especially with some of the controversial outcomes that have been some of the, some of the recent boxing fights. Yeah. And did you see the belt? I didn't see the belt. No, I didn't uh, watch so that. So they, they revealed the belt today. And it's insane. So, I mean, they've got, you know, like the heavyweight belt and all that stuff. So yeah. this one, the winner gets the money belt, Ooh. which is made from alligator skin. And it's it's an <laughs> offset. So it's got like so you get like the full alligator skin experience. So it's got like the belt is right here and the buckle is right here. And then it's got a long like band of alligator skin and it's like teal blue alligator skin. And it's got something like 300 diamonds and like 60 rubies and one and a half kilograms of solid gold. That's just, that's absurd. I I did see the thing from McGregor that he said he's going to have all of his belts, every single belt that he's ever had flown in for the match. And he's going to do some kind of pre-fight spectacle where he's showing off the belts and he's he's got got one on each shoulder and one on his waist. Yeah. That's not going to help you in the fight, but it's going to make for an interesting spectacle going in. Yeah. Um, so what I didn't know when I was just reading about while we were talking, there are actually a couple other uh, title fights. The IBF featherweight, super featherweight, and WBA Ooh. light heavyweight are, are both on the undercard for this. See, that's so funny because one of the things oh, I and, really like... And the USBA cruiserweight. See, I like... Um, I like... For boxing or MMA, I prefer watching uh, super featherweight, featherweight, and middleweight fights because mm-hmm. I find that there's a lot more action. It's a lot more active. I know a lot of people like the heavyweight fights because, you know, heavyweight fights are all about the big knockouts and two big bruisers just beating each other up. Um, but whether it's MMA or boxing, I've always preferred the action that goes on in, in a lighter fight. And maybe you're not going to see that, you know, dramatic knockout. But what you do see is is a fantastic display of of skill yeah. and continuous fighting for the you know it's not 12 rounds of hugging and and throwing 20 pounds or 20 um shots in a match or around pardon me you know these guys are throwing 65 65 landed punches around for 12 rounds and i mean it's a it's just a battle and i love seeing that in the lighter weight fights 
Yeah, um, I, I think there are going to be some good fights that night. And another thing I was just reading about, uh, the, the nosebleeds to this fight. I mean, yeah. guess, guess how much it is for literally the very last row, like behind a pillar. I heard, because uh, I have a friend and my boss who is a huge, huge boxing fan, and he was looking at tickets for the fight. And I remember, I think he said there were $1,900 nosebleed seats okay so they're they're actually a a mere 1300 1300 okay so they might have come Uh, down but that that was as of monday when you're buying tickets six days out from the fight yeah this i think i i mean i i'd be interested to see the stats as to whether um the in ring or the in uh stadium uh tickets are probably the most expensive i've ever seen i don't know if the tyson era tickets ever read reach this level um because like the the mid-level um like the mid-tier sort of mid-row uh seats were going for something like 10 or twelve thousand dollars a seat that's just crazy crazy money i mean to be able to watch it on tv and have like that close-up experience um but then to sit 700 feet away and watch it with binoculars for over a thousand dollars just seems crazy. I think it's just going to be one of those things where, you know, like I said, back in the Tyson era where you can say you were there for the fight, because I think this is one of those fights that's going to go down in the history books, regardless of what happens, regardless of the outcome. Um, this is going to be one of those fights where I don't know that anyone is going to be disappointed, whether it's a DQ, whether it goes 12 rounds to decision. Uh, everybody's going to be talking about this fight for a month or two afterwards and hashing it over and, and just, you know, every second of every round, uh, which is only the first round, is uh, is going to be analyzed and, and just like frame by frame. People are going to be arguing about every single punch and counter and duck and everything. Yeah, this, I mean, it's it's very easy to say this is going to be like the biggest one of the biggest boxing fights of all time. Absolutely. It's easily going to be the most viewed like pay-per-view of all time. But I mean, no question. That's easy because you have all the boxing people and all the MMA people watching. Bringing them all together. So as we uh, wrap it up here, any final questions, statements, feedback from our uh, illustrious live audience? Jason Savko says it's going to be a draw. That's. I don't think that's possible. I don't think so either. I think you could probably, I don't know what the odds on a draw would be, but I suspect they're pretty high. You should definitely, um, if you think it's going to be a draw, you should put some money down on that. Even if Mayweather loses... I can't see this lasting 12 rounds. No. I mean, your, your, your good money would be on a DQ uh, or this fight going the 12 rounds because I just don't see – and I don't think it's a Mayweather thing. Mayweather's gone 12 rounds a number of times. Yeah, a lot. McGregor's not going to – I just can't see him making 12 rounds. Yeah, I can't see – I can't see McGregor lasting 12 la- rounds or allowing the fight to go 12 rounds. No, he's going to have to turn it on when he starts losing. Yeah. I mean, his ring's going to tell him when he's, you know, if you're down by two or three points around, um, you, you know, by the third or fourth round, if he can make it a third or fourth round, uh, you, you're not going to have, you know, mathematically at that point, you're like, well, you can't win this fight. You're going to have to turn, you're going to have to go all or nothing, whether you get knocked out or not. You're losing this fight unless you can knock your opponent out. Yeah. So we'll see if he's got the uh, fight wherewithal to, uh, to make it to that point. But again, I think like it's a, it's a first round knockout and it'll be, uh, It'll be magical. Yeah, I think so. Cool, man. Good, uh, good after dark segment.
Yeah, it was fun. Better than talking football because I got nothing to say about football this season, let me tell you. I, n- I never have anything to say about football. Fair enough. Me neither. I'm a Jets fan. So uh, thanks, everyone, who tuned in live to this episode of Sharing Our Parents and tuned in to our After Hours segment. Thanks to all our podcast listeners out there listening in droves. Appreciate your comments, feedback, and emails. We'll be back next week at our regular scheduled time of 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, and we'll be back with a regular cigar chat. We've got the uh, Who Is It trip on Thursday. And rolled. And rolled. And we've got some swag, so get your weasel on, get your questions in. We'll have the uh, show page up uh, probably in the next couple days. We'll have the Facebook link up so you can get your pre-questions in. We'll try and get through all of those. It's going to be a really interesting show. Um, you know, we, we I don't think we've ever had anything to that level on the show before. Usually it's just industry people, so this is going to be... A really interesting show, so make sure to tune yeah. into that. And uh, hope everyone has a great weekend and enjoys the fight this Saturday. Drink better, but drink less.